Welcome to the Let's Talk podcast from the University of Edinburgh and the Edinburgh University Student Association, where we talk about what life throws our way at university, especially in relation to our mental health. I'm Harriet Harris, the university chaplain, and today I am joined by Ailey Ross Oliver, a third year politics undergraduate. Ailey is here to tell us about her policy research into mental health stigmatisation as part of the student-led think tank, the Buchanan Institute, which has just launched its 10 big ideas for Scotland. So Ailey, great to be with you this afternoon and thanks very much for joining me. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you very much for having me here. Um, So my name's Ailey. Um, I'm in my third year of my politics degree here at Edinburgh. Um, This year I've been involved with the Buchanan Institute through the 10 Big Ideas for Scotland um, project. And I'm really interested in public policy and research. So this has been a really great opportunity to get involved in student research and be in a student think tank. Absolutely. So... So the Buchanan Institute, they are, if I if I understand it right, they're Scotland's only student-led think tank. That's right. And they produce student yeah. policy research. Yeah. So the Buchanan Institute started in 2014. Um, and yeah, as you say, Scotland's only student-led think tank. And we work to produce um, policy reports and research across loads of different contexts. So the 10 Big Ideas project that I've worked on has been specific to Scotland, but we've also worked on UK-wide and um, I think some international-based policy issues as well. That's fantastic. It's so good to have student researchers working on really big policy questions. Do you want to just give an idea of the kind of range that's that you've been working on it with the 10 Big Ideas? Yeah, of course. So 10 Big Ideas has been a really fantastic opportunity to sort of get some experience in um, policy research, which is something I would like to go into maybe after uni and being able to do it on a student level is a really fantastic opportunity. But with 10 Big Ideas, we've covered um, five key themes. So we've looked at um, the environment, which is, of course, a very important issue to a lot of students, um, education, protecting vulnerable people and rebuilding Scotland's economy, as well as improving Scotland's health as well, which is the area that I focused on. Um, So that area has been mental health specific, addressing stigma of mental health in the workplace. Um, But there's such a range across the whole project. You know, we've got policy briefs on agroforestry and renewable energies, as well as four day working week, asylum claims processing in Scotland and data literacy as well. So there's a lot of breadth within our policy proposal. Absolutely. It's so heartening to know that um, people, you and others like yourself, are are working in these areas. And so interesting to have flagged up those five that you mentioned for the 10 big ideas, education, environment, vulnerable people, growing back the economy and health in in the time of the pandemic. Yeah, so this project began we started um in just at the beginning of autumn in 2020 we were commissioned by the scottish policy foundation to produce research uh, along with ippr scotland and reform scotland um to produce 10 big ideas for scotland and these were the five key policies that we came up with um and you know these sorts of areas they cover they're very wide topic areas um they cover aspects that I mean everything has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic um, but yeah they really we inc- we had to reflect on COVID in everything that we were doing we had to reflect on the before the pandemic situation as well as how it's changed because of the pandemic um, and yeah it's been really interesting to sort of see how that's changed a lot of these areas. Absolutely absolutely all, all of those areas you mentioned 
uh, are going to be so impacted by the pandemic. And then also, of course, we've got the Scottish elections coming up as well. So very timely release for the 10 big ideas. Um, so Ailey, let's turn to the area that was was your focus and which is also just very much a focus of the Let's Talk podcast, which is the area of health. And you particularly mentioned mental health. Can you tell us a bit more about the work you've done there? Yes, of course. So um, my area of the report is looking at mental health stigmatisation in the workplace. Um, and we sort of came to this area of the mental health um, debate because mental health stigmatisation is such a pressing issue in Scotland. Um, recent research has sort of indicated that almost half of people in Scotland, they think that their own colleagues would be unlikely to admit that they have a mental health condition out of fear of losing their job. Um, and as well as that, it's a real um, pressure on the Scottish economy with Mental Health Foundation. They estimate that it's £2 billion a year mental health stigmatisation is costing Scottish employers. Um, so we sort of landed on the topic of mental health stigmatisation because there is legislation in place that protects against discrimination through the Equality Act 2010, um, but the cultural practices and norms that surround mental health in the workplace um, mean that for many people across Scotland, um, harsh stigmatisation and harassment persists, unfortunately. And did you come across case studies of, of that, that that show how that can happen? Yeah, so in our research, we used some information that had come out of um, work from CME Scotland, which there was a lot of research that noted feelings um, of wishing that people in that people around them had recognized what was going on a lot of people reported that um and many noted that they felt the need to sort of hide how they weren't coping um and people feeling just unable to function in the workplace but with no one recognizing that that was happening their situation was just worsening and worsening i mean see me scotland has got a lot of case studies that they've published online um and they're really quite quite telling of how serious this is for people across scotland people with a whole range of different mental health um, conditions and um, yeah it's there's a seems to be quite a broad consensus across all these different case studies that if their colleagues knew how to help then their situation might not have reached the position that it did um, and that really inspired us to really seek out the best ways to address the stigmatization in the of mental health in the workplace in order to try and um, find out how we can sort of improve these really awful sounding personal experiences and the, the statistics as well, which are just so telling of of the reality of mental health stigmatisation in Scotland. Sounds so important, Ailey, because I think stigmatisation can, can magnify a problem hugely, can't it? It can at least double it, if not triple or quadruple a mental health problem. And yeah. Do you think it, what lies behind it? Do you think it's it's lack of understanding a, a, a kind of ignorance of key bits of understanding that if they were in place, stigmatization yeah. would be reduced. Or I think it's a re it's a real mix of things. I think that the healthcare system is lacking behind. Um, we I think I mean we can go into this in a bit more detail when we talk about how to address stigmatization. But at the moment, there's not enough focus on sort of prevention and early intervention as well. Um, but yeah, as you say, I think it's just a lack of recognition and, and understanding. Um, and as I was just saying, a lack of sort of early identification and just, yeah, a lack of awareness within the workplace um, and an, a lack of understanding how to help and how to 
offer support and how to um, help people find professional help as well, as well as sort of the other aspect of it, which is, you know, effective rehabilitation. And so I think those are the sorts of key, the key areas where the reasons why we have such high stigmatization, but yeah. And I think one of the, one of the things that people struggle with when their mental health starts to spiral downwards is the feeling that as long as I seem okay, as long as I can seem okay, if I can just get through this day and seem okay and everybody, you know, I've managed to fool everyone. Yeah. And that speaks to the problem of stigmatization, doesn't it? Because the effort to seem okay can be immense and exhausting. And it also fuels that feeling that you mustn't let on. Yes. Um, which is, of course, going, to, going to, to add to the pressure and, and to the mental health deterioration. Absolutely. So, so let's hear, um, Ailey, from you what your research is suggesting about ways to prevent stigmatisation and to create the, the positive changes in the workplace, which also, as you say, applies to educational settings. Yeah, of course. So um, one of our key recommendations for addressing stigmatisation um, comes from a declaration that was developed by CME Scotland during their Rights for Life event in 2015. And from that event, there was a steering group that emerged and a widespread consultation. And they produced a declaration with eight rights for mental health in Scotland um, that go beyond, you know, the current legislation, as I said, protects people from discrimination. Um, but this really goes beyond that and sort of helps um, recognise what the key rights are for people who are struggling with a mental health condition in Scotland are. Um, and, and endorsing these rights, if the Scottish government was to endorse these rights, this declaration of rights, then that would ensure that people in the workplace in Scotland um, are they, they have the right to not be discriminated against um, mm. in the workplace, which would certainly go a long way in reducing mental health stigmatisation. Um, and I mean, a declaration of rights is all fine and well, but it's important to ensure that that would then, you know, be acted upon and be actually a function and actually, you know, reduce stigmatisation. So they also introduced... Um, there, they introduced four key steps that would be needed in order to get to this point, um, which I can just talk a little bit about as well. So their first point from the, the Rights for Life Declaration was is a modern and accessible mental health system, which will focus which would focus more on prevention and early intervention as well. Um, as well as a commitment from the Scottish Government to embedding a rights-based and recovery focus across mental health in Scotland, which at the moment is something that the Scottish Government and the NHS are working towards but we're not quite there yet. Um, on the delivery side of things as well, CME Scotland argues that we'd also need to have a shift in sort of the balance of power and within structures in Scotland so to recognise that people with mental health conditions are equal partners um, and we need to have greater training in soft skills like safe disclosure, active listening, um, empowering approaches within mental health, coaching, mentoring and facilitation skills. Um, and then lastly, their most concrete aspect of achieving this would be introducing new mental health legislation, which would have to be developed in line with the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which would have a focus on building accountability and a shift in policy and practice towards supported decision making in all circumstances. And through those four key steps, um, the Declaration of Rights for Mental Health in Scotland would both be legislation and would be acted upon as well. Yeah, those sound absolutely pivotal, I, I think, Ailey. And so what would be the next steps with your 
with the big ideas research does it do you, do you then lobby with it or how do you get the message out there and and get buy-in yeah so as as you say we've got the scottish election coming up next month so at the moment we've just launched um our pledge site which we are going to be sending that we're currently in the process actually of sending it out to all candidates that are standing in the upcoming election um, and we've begun emailing them and we're asking them to pledge to our 10 policy proposals and um, now they don't have to pledge to them all they can pledge to one or 10 or anywhere in between um, but we're looking for commitment that they are willing to um, enact these policy proposals on issues that matter to students and matter to people across Scotland um, that really can uh, have the power to sort of change Scotland for the better and it would if they sign the pledge then that sort of highlights their commitment to um, improving Scotland for the better. Absolutely and uh, so it sounds like you've probably got quite a busy time ahead now with the elections coming up of um, really engaging the candidates and getting this very much on their radar. Yeah yeah it's it's going to be a busy few weeks now yeah trying to reach out to them but I mean We've got a website that's launched. We're on all social media platforms as well. So, yeah, please check us out, 10 Big Ideas Scotland. Absolutely. So, Ailey, we'll put the information in the write-up that goes with the podcast. So on the, webs- on the website for this podcast, we'll be able to point people to uh, your report and your website. Fantastic. So that will be really helpful. Yeah. So can we just think a bit about coming back to your current, you know, ongoing student experience and the university environment how do you see problems of stigmatization of mental health issues playing out in a university context I think that with remote learning over the past year at university there is perhaps greater stigmatization of mental health because there just isn't the same face-to-face contact as we would have had in the in the years previous so people you know it's just not recognized as quickly by academic and other staff as it maybe would have been in the past But I do think that there is, even before the pandemic, there maybe was an issue of stigmatisation of mental health. I think was quite ingrained within our culture, both student culture and wider culture in Scotland and the UK. There is, you know, as we've talked throughout this, our our chat today, there is a sort of this pressure to just sort of seem all right and if no one else sees it, then I will, then it's fine. I can just keep going. And when you've got really pressing deadlines and you've got work piling up, if you're already struggling with something, you know, and you, but you feel that there's stigma avoiding you from sort of getting help, then that's only going to worsen the situation you're in. So I would say, yeah, it's sort of stigmatization that in the university context has maybe worsened over the past year, but it's always been there and it's, it really piles up on students. So yeah, we need to address mental health stigmatization in the in the university setting as well I think and it's what the way you're describing it there Ailey which is comes across you know very clearly in a way you know in in how how this can be experienced by people but it it also suggests that some of the stigmatization it's internalized is that what you're suggesting yeah I think definitely internalized um but also I think it's it's linked to so many other factors. You know, when if you're feeling isolated at university, which is such a common experience for many students, especially in their first in their first year, um, it's just I, I think stigmatization internal. And also, if you're feeling isolated, then you're not going to have that same network of people that you've maybe had throughout the rest of your life. Almost for some people, that so mental health won't be 
won't be recognized by others if you if you seem to be struggling it wouldn't be recognized if you're lacking that um that network so i think it comes in a whole host of different ways and linked to so many things but yeah it's definitely hopefully if if the declaration of rights for mental health were introduced then hopefully we would see more meaningful action on this but yeah it's certainly something that affects students across the university yeah and I, I was listening to a, a really helpful and tragic interview this morning with with somebody whose wife of 40 years took her life and he had not spotted any nobody in her environment had spotted any signs because they had had a view of what depression looked like yeah and she wasn't depressed she didn't have that but she had very high anxiety yes and that wasn't on their radar so no interventions were made yeah. and so the sort of information, um, the sort of education that you're suggesting sounds so important. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's true for a lot of people at the university as well, that anxiety levels can be very high and anxiety doesn't show in the same way as depression. So we might not necessarily spot it. And somebody themselves, if it's the first time they've had it, might not know what's hit them and might not have a name for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's within um, the student population and the wider population as well, I think we have very set views of what certain um, mental health conditions look like when in reality they can manifest in so many different ways in different people. So greater awareness training can lead to earlier identification, which ultimately does save lives and does does help people so much more through early identification. So, yeah, absolutely it's definitely we need to sort of move past the sort of idea of what what mental health is because ultimately it's going to be different regardless of or it's going to be different for every single person. And just on that have you been able in your research to look at cross-cultural experiences and how internalised stigma might be different depending on it could be depending on your cultural background or depending on your family background or your educational background. I think it, within the student and staff body at the university was such an international body and so diverse in, in many ways that people have different levels of tolerance for, for how able they feel to speak about mental health. Yeah, so as I was mentioning earlier, the sort of the declaration emerged from a consultation that happened with a really diverse group across Scotland. I think it was several hundred people across the country who were interviewed as part of this consultation or who contributed to the discussion. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely mental health is, of course, something that affects people all over the world. And a lot of the modelling is actually coming out. Of, it's very internet. Mental health is obviously a very international field. Um, and there's research that's coming out from all over the place you know a lot of the components developed by Sam H um, they are from a, like an Australian early identification model but yeah so I've not not um, specifically looked at it within our research but it's definitely something that was covered in the rights for life agenda that that fed into and supported the declaration which then obviously um, fed into our research so yeah great so it's all there in the background yeah. and we can uh, look up the various documents you'll give us the the information if we want to of course yeah dig in and look behind thanks so much Ailey is there anything uh, further that you'd like to 
to tell people before we before we wrap up the conversation this afternoon? Yeah, well, I think obviously legislative change is going to take a lot of effort, but in addressing stigmatisation, I think it just starts with the individual. So check up on your friends, check up on your family, check up on people that you've maybe not spoken to for a while, someone that you would usually see in your day-to-day life that you maybe haven't because of lockdown or the stay-at-home rules. Just check up on people, see how they're doing and sometimes just asking how how someone's doing or just asking a further question really can help someone open up and um yeah just address stigmatization from the individual level everyone's got a part to play such helpful advice Ailey thank you I think that's invaluable so thanks ever so much for for joining us for telling us about your research and we very much hope that uh candidates will get behind it and that we'll see effective changes in legislation Yeah, I really hope so. Thank you very much for having me. It's been really great to have this conversation today.